This podcast is brought to you by StoreMaven. I won't lie, I am an employee at StoreMaven, so I want to tell you a little bit about why it's the greatest company on earth. If you're interested in growing your app in any way, organically, paid, both, we have tools to help you do it, whether it's optimizing your creatives, measuring the success and the effect of different efforts that you're taking, or just telling you what people look for in an app. We're here to help you do it. You have to talk to user and then to really understand how they are using the app and why to really understand their workflow, to understand what's the motivation for them to start to use your product, and what's the motivation for them to come back. Welcome to Mobile Growth and Pancakes, a podcast by Stormaven. We break down how and why mobile apps grow. In each episode, we invite a mobile growth expert onto the show to break down a specific mobile growth strategy, how it worked, why it worked, and what they would do differently. I'm your host, Esther Schatz. Okay, so welcome to uh, Mobile Growth and Pancakes. Chang, thank you so much for joining me today. I know you run growth and marketing at Otter AI. Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a bit about the app and the product and yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Chang Chen. I'm, I'm the head of growth and marketing and and the head of growth marketing at Otter. And uh, so Otter.ai will help people to uh, take automated notes well that we can automatically help you to take uh, every detailed, every extra items for your meetings. That's true, you can be more engaged for your meetings. And so, so now that a lot of people that are working from home, that they are, they are working remotely, that we're actually seeing that a lot more people that are starting to use auto and starting to use auto to take meetings and to, to, to start to use auto to take their meeting notes. Amazing. Yeah. I, uh, <laughs> I can tell you how much I hate taking, uh, taking notes during meetings and that pause for the typing where you hear everybody trying to catch up and losing place. So, uh, really sounds very, very cool and very necessary. Okay, so you know, before we jump right in, I want to we're going to talk about a couple of strategies that you guys have implemented um, over the course of this podcast. Um, but first, it would be great to get an understanding of when you talk about growth um, and how you're measuring mobile growth. What are the main KPIs that you're looking at? What are the the metrics that you're really looking to optimize for? Yeah, so so right now that we are trying to uh, optimizing for um, the the penetration into the market, and we're also trying to. Uh, really trying to educate the user and to get users to start using the app. Uh, so because right now that taking notes using an AI technology, so this actually is something new. So we actually need to, to teach users that, hey, so now that you have a better way to take notes. Uh, so right now that we do, we do trying to uh, really trying to educate on the users and really trying to penetrate into the market, especially now that we're trying to create something new. Uh, so the market penetration and the market education is a top two thing that we are trying to optimize for. And how do you kind of understand if you've been successful in that education? Is there, um, you know, a metric that you're looking at to say, yes, we've gotten through to this user, they understand what to use, or um, is it just qualitative at this point? So it's a combination of both. So we do talk to the users and trying to see how they are using the app and how they are viewing the app. And we are, if there's anything there, we can improve for them. And if there are any pain point that we were trying to solve, and for the pain point that we are trying to, to solve, do we actually successfully solve for them? And do we have anything that we can improve? 
And on the other side, that we we are also looking at a lot of our user behavior data and trying to see that for each segment of users, do they started to use the app? And after their first use, we also send out a survey to understand that how happy they are. So after their first use, we also send out a survey to understand how satisfied they are um, and, and also trying to understand that if, if they're going to come back. Uh, so from that perspective, that we also continue to see our, our users' engagement data as well. Got it. And can you give me an idea of, you know, the rough scale of the market that we're looking at right now? So how many maybe installs do you guys have? Approximately, it doesn't need to be an exact number. I don't think I can share the exact number, but we do have a few millions of users. And right now that we are, we're seeing tremendous growth as well. Amazing. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, super, super in line with technologies that are relevant for today. So I guess that that brings me to an interesting strategy that I know you guys have been trying, um, which comes to do with the targeting. So generally in acquisition, I'd say most commonly you see a lot of people building lookalike audiences and different areas like that. And you guys tried it a little bit differently. Uh, do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, so so we did try to look like and um, so I, and it works to an extent. Um, but I do think that when you are targeting using lookalikes, you are actually bringing bias into your targeting. So especially for a hyper growth company, we're creating a category that we don't really have any traditional good or don't have any too many users that they already have the habit. So even with our uh, large user base, then we are still uh, looking at a way larger potential that we can grow into. So the users that we acquired right now, they may be attracted by some aspect of our uh, tools, but a lot of them that they, they might still not know us. So for example, that so previously that we run a campaign that we attracted a specific um or specific occupation and specific location of users. And those segments of users, they really show the uh, really high quality for us, but they might not be the only segment of users and that will become loyal users for us. So if we just use the lookalikes, that means that we are just emphasizing on that specific segment. So I think for a lot of a product, they actually have a much bigger market that, uh, that we can go after. So if we just use the lookalike, so we're actually limiting ourselves in growth. So basically you're saying that even though the performance metric metrics for a lookalike campaign are for specific audience, you'll see strong performance metrics, but you're doing it within a limited body, meaning especially for an app like you guys, you're, you're revolutionary and you're new and you don't know the full potential of your audience you're, you might be deceived by the fact that you have these strong metrics and actually prevent yourself from finding out who the next strong group of users would be. Yeah, yeah, I, t- I totally agree with that. So especially for the hyper-growth companies that um, the early adopters may or may not be the next growth market for you. So if you just use a lookalikes, that means that you are just finding out more users from the same segment um, to your existing users. And your existing users may only be a very small fraction of your market. Right. So do you think that would change, you know, let's say a couple of years down the line when you're not in the same hyper growth stage and you have maybe a more established audience, would you say at that point you'd go back to more lookalike or targeted campaigns or would you continue in this more broad strategy? Um, so, so I think we, we will continue to do, to do both. 
meaning that we were still trying to find out the users that we already know, that we are trying to get more of those. While I always believe that there will always be new potential market that we can penetrate into. Yeah. What brought you to deciding to try this? You know, it's it's pretty pretty revolutionary. It kind of goes against the playbook, I think, that a lot of marketers are looking at. Um, did you from the start decide to use zero targeting or was there a trigger that drove you to, to experiment with it? Uh, so it's actually, it, this is not the first time that I uh, use this strategy. And I have been using this strategy for, for my last company as well. Well, we did see a really strong uh, growth from there. And more interestingly, that when you combine the qualitative research, you will actually be able to identify, uh, yeah, sometimes you're going to surprise yourself. And you're going to find user segment that you have not thinking about at all. You will find users are really creative and they will find creative ways to use your app. Wow. Do you have an example of, uh, of a surprising market or a surprising user group that you uncovered in this way? Um, so right now that we have, um, so previously we were thinking that it's only people will, will have a lot of meetings that they will use our app. But we then realized that we have a lot of interesting use cases. People can actually uh, doing uh, voice memos using us. They can they can actually send the voice messaging users, and a lot of people they actually starting to use auto for different conference. And we also see a lot of podcasters. They started to using us to record their session and to transcribe them to prepare them for to transcribe their podcast or uh, to transcribe their podcast sessions into written content so that they can share them, uh, share them on their website or where they can share them on uh, social media as well. And that's completely separate to a meeting. That's uh, you know, a kind of completely new use case. That's very cool. Okay, I'm going to shift a little bit into another strategy that has worked well for you guys, which is something I'd say that the industry has definitely been talking about for a while, which is personalization. You know, what, uh, tell us a bit about how far you went with personalization for Otter. What did you guys start to implement? Um, so the example that I gave is actually not, it's actually not for Otter. So at my last company that I've been focusing a lot on that and we had each targeting. Uh, so with each targeting that we actually have a different onboarding flow. So for example, that when we targeting people from, from a certain state, then we will have an icon picture from that state in our ads. And we will also have that the same picture that following, following all the way through our onboarding flow as well. And all our onboarding flow, uh, onboarding questions and onboarding emails, they will also be personalized um, ba- um, based on the um, targeting. Sometimes it can be a location targeting. It also can be gender targeting. And it can be a different different use cases that are targeting as well. And how do you figure out what kind of, you know, for geography, it's pretty straightforward, right? You're looking for landmarks from the location that people are in. How do you decide what kind of personalization elements you're using for other demographics like gender, like age? Um, you know, how do you know what content to show them? Do you experiment with that or do you have an idea ahead of time? So we had some initial ideas and then we have done a lot of experiments. And we, I think at, um, so the highest record that we are running more than 100 different versions of our onboarding flow. Wow. All at the same time? Yeah, they're all at the same time. And some wow. are for different targeting and, and some of them are A-B testing against each other. 
So how far do you go? I mean, if I'm a, a female from Boston, aged 30, you know, am I seeing something completely different than a male from Boston, age 30, than a female from California? How, how many layers deep are you going in the personalization? So I always think it's dynamic enough. So we have a different, totally different flow for different use cases. And for different states, we'll have a different graphic. And for different gender, sometimes we have a different graphic and different copy. And for some, for sometimes that we, we offer the same thing because from a previous test, the, the difference in copy didn't end up in a different uh, sign-up rate or, or conversion rate. So it it all depends, but I think the majority different is coming from different use cases. Yeah. And I mean, it's clearly a huge effort, you know, a hundred different flows and and testing and figuring out exactly what works for users. How do you understand if those efforts are justified by the outcome? So how are you measuring kind of the success of personalization and if it was worth all the effort that you've put into it? Yeah, so we, at the end of the day, we want to acquire um, paying users. And when you look at the, the um, so we have different flows and, and targeting different funnels. And we have flow targeting users, trying to drive users from install to sign up. And we have flow trying to drive users from sign up to payment. So with different flows that we look at the new flow comparing to the con control and trying to understand the lift. And when we uh, when we calculate the CAC, then you will be able to see improvement on the CAC. And then, so with the improvement of CAC, then you will be calculated how much money that we that we actually saving for the company. And when you, then you will have a very clear idea uh, of the ROI. And is there somewhere where this comes to, you know, do you ever get to a point when? so much personalization in the initial stage and the ads and the onboarding flow, do you get to a point in the product where, you know, maybe you haven't personalized all the way through to the end and users actually get a negative experience having been accustomed to that? Or do you make sure that every step of the funnel along the way is personalized or does it not even matter to them once they've had that initial positive experience, they don't need to see it uh, all the way through? Uh, so we, uh, so from, from day one that we actually, we didn't have everything. So we started with the very top of the funnel and then we didn't see negative reviews, but we started to think about, hey, if the top of the funnel, uh, if the personalization on top of the funnel really works, what will happen if we apply that to deeper funnel? So if we do that for our activation, for our conversion, so are we going to see more users? Uh, so more users uh, started using the app. Are we going to see more users become paying users? So it's that idea that's driving us to implement more and then to experiment more. Uh, so it's that idea that's really driving us to try to implement personalization all, all the way through. Awesome. And if you were to start, you know, whether um, Otter AI, whether MyIQ, wherever you were, if you were to start growing the app again, you were coming back to square one and presented with this task of you need to create growth, what would you do differently now? Um, I think we will do more experiments. So, um, and then we will do more qualitative research as well. So previously, I was really believing in data. So I, I throw in a lot of different ideas. We're trying to run a lot of experiments, but we didn't talk enough to our customers. We didn't really have too much qualitative research. 
if I if I will do it all over again, I will, I will talk to more of our um, core users and really try to understand them. I think that that will actually save saving us a lot of time doing random experiments, and that will give us a give us a better understanding of what exactly to test and how how we can create a better experience for each segment of users. Okay, awesome. And now uh, just one last question on that. Um, when you say qualitative research, um, how much do you break down the difference between qualitative and quantitative? Meaning it sounds like you were saying qualitative helps give you a better idea of experimenting and maybe quantitative is, is a way of measuring, but I know you also measure through qualitative uh, sources as well. Where do you put the balance? How do you kind of understand, you know, where it gets too subjective or where you're focusing so much on the numbers that you lose the, the vision of what you're supposed to be doing? Uh, so I think the quantitative data um, will tell us what. So we were going to see from data the conversion rate. We're going to see from the data what are some popular features and how often that users use them. Um, but we can't really understand why. So we know a certain percentage of people will drop off, but we don't know why. We know that for a certain segment of users, they will use feature A more than the feature B, while for that segment of users, that they may use feature B more. But from the data alone, that you actually can't understand why. Um, and so you have to talk to user and then to really understand how they are using the app and why. And really have to talk to user and to understand. So other than the product, do they, do they use anything else? And, that, uh, and to really understand their workflow, to understand uh, what's the motivation for them to start to use your product? And what's the motivation for them to come back? So I think we also need to understand before they use the product, what they were using. I really understand the pain point that we are solving for them. And in addition to that, we also want to understand what's the user's workflow to see that how we can be more integrated as well. Makes sense. Okay, so now for the uh, quick fire round, four questions that, uh, that we ask everyone here on the podcast. First of all, if you could give just one tip to somebody who's entering the world of mobile growth marketing or aspiring to be a, global, a mobile growth marketer, what would that one tip be? Uh, really understand the user and really understand how your product is solving problems for them and how your product is making your customer's life better. Okay. And what's your favorite resource for mobile growth news, a blog, newsletter, site? Um, I have been reading grow.com uh, a lot. Okay. What, uh, who is the person in mobile growth that you'd most want to have lunch with and why? Uh, you. <laughs> thank you i would have lunch with you too we're a bit far away but uh a virtual lunch we can definitely do <laughs> yeah that would sound great i mean okay. i mean right now that even even for people in the same city we oh, yeah, can, nobody's we can, nobody's meeting for real still life only lunch. Have virtual lunch yeah it's so, true yeah. it's true <laughs> so, so that will feel the same <laughs> so it can be dinner for me and lunch for you oh yeah <laughs> okay, and uh, connected to the other meal that we didn't talk about, but what is your favorite flavor of pancake? Mm, pancake. Uh, I would say blueberry. Good choice. Very good choice. Amazing. Chang, thank you so much for sharing that with us. It was super interesting. Thank you. 
And that was Mobile Growth and Pancakes. To find out more about StoreMaven and how we can improve app store performance, visit StoreMaven.com. And then make sure to search for Mobile Growth and Pancakes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found, and click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at StoreMaven, thanks for listening.